0: Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge.
1: And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now.
0: Welcome to the Recruitment Flex. Another week full of insights. Shelly, how is it going? Serge, it's
1: going great. There's lots going on in the industry, hey?
0: There is a ton going on. And and before we jump into our guest co-hosts, We are on a rocket ship, Shelly. We're getting listeners in every part of the world. Our audience is growing and we really appreciate that. (laughs) And to keep growing, I'm going to ask a favor from our listeners. And only if you're getting value, right? If you are getting value from the recruitment flights, can you do me a favor? Go on wherever you're listening. So Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, a review. We would really appreciate it. The other element, if people that could get value of these discussions, Mm -hmm. please share it with them. Any info you need to be able to share, please reach out to us. But in saying that, we really appreciate our listeners. And we really appreciate everyone jumping on this rocket ship that we're on. (laughs)
1: Yes. With no further ado, something that we made a little pattern here is uh, rather than inviting somebody in as a guest, we reached out to people that we highly regard and respect that work every day in, day out in talent acquisition to come on the show, share their insights and be a guest co-host. I have the privilege of Introducing someone who's been with us before, but as a guest, this time she's going to join the discussion. The lovely Ali Knoll, founder and CEO of Resume Free. Ali, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. I don't know if I deserve all that respect, but this is wonderful. So, Ali, I take it you've been doing well. I'm also thinking you've been pretty. Fucked. busy. (laughs) There's a rumor circulating something about Microsoft. Did you want to share with the audience? Absolutely busy. Yeah,
2: so I've been out of the media for a little bit because I've been working so hard on this latest news piece, so to speak. But uh, Resume Free has been selected to be part of the Microsoft for Startups program, which is incredible. And I am so excited and so humbled that they chose our company to go with them. So for those of you that don't know, Microsoft for Startups is a, a very elite program. It helps companies scale globally with Their tools or their platforms. And Mm -hmm. now we have access to all this amazing technical expertise and these amazing business leaders that are going to help us evolve over the next 12 months here. So we're super pumped.
1: So Ali, when you say you were chosen, does that mean you have access, but you still have to pay for it? Or is this like a grant or an award? Talk more about that. Yeah, it's an application process. And there's some pretty Mm -hmm. strict
2: parameters around the application process. So it's going to be amazing. Absolutely amazing.
0: So there is a ton going on in your world. That's so exciting. And we're so happy, Mm -hmm. especially with a technology that we find interesting. So do check out goresumefree.com. Is that right?
1: Correct. Yeah, goresumefree.com.
0: Perfect. Congratulations,
1: Allie. That is super, super exciting news. Well done.
0: Well done. Mm -hmm. Shelly, are you ready to jump into our recruitment insights? You're gonna handle the first today.
1: (laughs) I am, I am. Sir, I know I've talked about this before, but if there's one thing that I wish talent acquisition people would just bury, is the behavioral descriptive interview. I say we go back to what 1974? And here's the picture I have in my mind. There's a salesperson coming through town with this big ass briefcase, because when they sold the whole concept of BDI interviews, behavioral descriptive interviews, it came with a binder. And that binder was probably about four inches thick. It was on paper, seriously. And whoever the sales rep was Roland all throughout um, North America probably is the wealthiest person we have ever met and their great grandchildren will never have to work again (laughs) because I swear everybody took it on and I have never liked it. I think it's a terrible candidate experience. I think it begs for fabrication. So I came across this article. Now I'm not looking for any controversy here about the founder, Elon Musk. But one of the things this article said was, there's a real simple way to get people to talk about what they've done. Because the point of the interview is, tell us what you've done. Talk more about that. If you've actually done something, you can recall every single detail, right? Would you agree? Like, you look at yeah. every project you've ever been on. Ali, Serge, yeah, true? Absolutely. Like, absolutely there is there is nothing that you would not remember cuz you did it. So the concept of the perfect interview question is quite simply give me the details. Show me the receipts. Show me what you've done. Talk to me, give me details. If someone is not being truthful about their level of involvement in the work, they will be vague and they will be evasive and they're not going to remember little details. So what a brilliant way to interview someone. And and you as the person interviewing that very simple tip of just get people to talk about the details. Now, Allie, give me your vibe on this. What's your take?
2: My take on BDI, I feel like there was a purpose. I'm not sure what that purpose is anymore because when you think about interviews and how people prep for interviews they go okay what are the like top questions people ask they there's google actually it. there's they google it there's 33 yeah. top questions on the google machine that people can go to yeah. and it has every single one of those questions and then it goes here's how to answer it so yeah it's already there. You're not going into the candidate experience. You're not talking about their lived experiences. You're asking them to come up with a question and how they answer that question is how we're going to determine their candidacy. Some of those questions are good, but I like the question of tell me something that you're really proud of and how did Mm -hmm. that go or something that you weren't proud of and what would you have done better? And the recollection piece, but if you just get into that robotic. Okay. And so now we're on to question number
1: two, tell Mm -hmm. me about a time when, and right. Every time I have that, I just, yes, I cringe as well because it's all in how you ask the question. Anybody who's done 10,000 interviews or more, which is I'm sure all of us, all of us. (laughs) Yes. How you ask the question is the answer you're going to get back. Right. So Mm -hmm. if you start a question by saying, tell me about a time, Do you know what? I remember seeing a great episode on Law and Order where I answered truthfully because you said to me, tell me about a time. Okay, my vote is to stop the 1974 thinking on interviews and get real and ask real questions. If somebody listed on the resume that they were the project manager for this application being developed, ask them questions about it what did you do? And then what did you do? Oh, talk more about that. Oh, was there any roadblocks? Serge, do you think leaders need a script to follow?
0: Like Yes and know? no. We got to put in perspective that a lot of hiring managers and a lot of hiring leaders have always had their pet questions outside of BDI. They have these mm-hmm. questions that they need to ask, even though they can't tell you what they're actually going to get from the answer. So, oh,
1: God, don't get me started. Oh, yeah,
0: exactly. We could go. <laughs> oh, Jesus. One of the elements, and I'll be the first to admit, interviewing has never been a passion for me. It's one of the elements in recruitment that know, you have so to weird. do. I, I love the talent attraction <laughs> side to it. So when I read this article, it made a lot of sense to me because like, research does show that if you ask candidates for details, the ones that know more about it will go in every minutia. And if they go into minutia, it means they know what they're talking about. As people that don't know the details, didn't really do it. Maybe it was part of that team, but we all had those people in our school projects that Yeah. like. One or two people did all the work and the other two yeah. just looked and, and chimed in at one particular time. I think you can really tell the difference as people go in the details of it. And One of the interesting stats that I read in that article is the ability to spot a lie, generally around 48%. By asking that question, it jumps up to 84%. So to me, that's doubling your chance of knowing if that person can actually do what they're saying they can do. And isn't that what interviewing is? Don't you want to know what's on their resume or however they apply if what they're saying they've actually done? So I think this is brilliant. I've never been a fan of behavioral type questions. And I'll tell you, I've bullshitted those questions all throughout my career. It's like it's so <laughs> easy to do it. Yeah. And this is where charisma and all those things come in. I'm not saying I'm the person with the most charisma, but... Generally, people that are salespeople, recruiters, we're really good at giving you the answers that you're looking for. Yeah. If you're asking, especially
1: salespeople, right? Exactly. Oh my God, they can dazzle.
0: (laughs) They can dazzle, but it's the substance behind, like hiring a salesperson is stab in the dark because they're going to be able to pitch, but can they actually execute?
1: So for example, my very first job was at Dairy Queen. And to
0: this very day, I can tell
1: you the exact sequence of how you make a banana split. That's I, I amazing. Be, uh, thank you. <laughs> That's amazing.
2: I'm not saying because of the length of the time. I'm just saying because <laughs> banana splits from Dairy Queen are amazing. They're my favorite.
1: <laughs> but it's because I actually did the work. And here's what I expect is listeners are thinking to themselves, Oh, that only works for the 50% of the population that have more artsy related jobs like sales, marketing, good communicators. Now, I wish the audience could see this. Both both Serge and Allie are going, oh, hell no. This goes for anything. And that's why I use the example of the banana split. Like, I remember every detail. You know, have I made a banana split since then? No.
0: What's interesting, Elon Musk, okay? So you look at the companies that Elon Musk has started and Mm -hmm. is running, SpaceX, Tesla. We're talking about some of the smartest people in the world working for his companies. And you can't really fake it when you're in. You can't fake that uh, amount of knowledge and expertise. So Mm -hmm. Elon asking that question, and it's it's the only question that he really asks is, tell me about the most difficult problem you've ever solved Mm-hmm. and go in detail, you're going to get all the info you need of the depth of that particular person by that yeah, one yeah. question.
2: agree. Exactly. Yeah. Agreed. I think when you look at some of the questions that people have, coming back to your script idea that is it important? Is it not important? I'm along the lines of yes and no. And for the reasons a little bit different than Serge. So with Elon's question, I think it's great that question is in there all the time and consistency is there. So you get to understand what a good response is mm-hmm. and what a mediocre response is and what a really shitty response is. But if you stick to the script and you don't dive into some of those little nuances that, that pop up in the questions, then you're losing the opportunity to understand that individual at a much deeper level than mm-hmm. just your tell me about a time. Yeah. Even then, I only think that there's two types of questions that should be asked. So, for any of the talent leaders out there, can they do the job and will they do the job? And will they do the job is that Elon
1: Musk question right there. It really is. It really is. And just one last point I just wanted to say that there is value in having a guideline. One thing that it's consistent, like what you just said, Ali, but the other thing is expecting leaders to understand what employment law says you cannot ask somebody. Because if they're freewheeling the whole thing, and they've never had an ounce of training, and they've got their pet questions, are you married? (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) They want to know, are you planning to have kids? I've been in interviews, I swear to God, that even though you've told them, they get chit chatting, trying to make the candidate feel relaxed. If you don't have a guideline, in the absence of giving them really thorough training on things you can and cannot ask somebody, you should have at least some sort of structure to the interview, right? Yes. And making sure that the hiring leaders aren't getting offside. That's all.
0: We can all agree with that. There's two elements, and I think you, you nailed it, Ellie, is can they do the job? Will they do the job? Yeah. We need to give our hiring managers a tool to be able to interview and really assess the skill sets if they can do, will do the job by also not breaking the law and asking these stupid questions, which but does they happen. Do, right? We've always been in that situation. There's so.
2: one time that worked for me, believe it or not. So I was on a team that was hiring an HR person, and <laughs> I told the CEO, the leader, ask an illegal question. He's like, what, really? I'm like, you have free reign on this one? Ask one. Mm-hmm. And he did, and she picked up on it and said, you cannot ask me that question. And I was Amazing. like, she's my hire. That's the one I want. <laughs>
0: All right, let's move on to the next recruitment insight. It's one that I've seen quite a bit lately. So talking about career fairs, and I'm not mm-hmm. talking about hiring events. They're actually two different things. So I'm a big believer in having hiring events, meaning you're the only company. You're getting everyone either virtually or to come on site To come interview at your company, you have it all set up. You're not competing against anyone else. You're targeting the audience that you want to come to your event Mm -hmm. compared to a career fair. I'm going to focus on the live career fair right now. But there's also the virtual career fair, which have become obviously more dominant in the last little while. But what was really shocking is on LinkedIn last week, I saw several in our community doing career fairs, and I'm thinking, we're still doing career fairs? I was actually pretty shocked by it. If you look at the cost of running a career fair, you're looking at the cost of the time of the recruiters being there, and are the candidates actually getting real value from it? Like, I I am biased. There is nothing I hate more than going to a career fair and manning one of those boots in some gym where it's too hot, I literally speak to a thousand people. They show up with their paper resume and I'm like, what the fuck am I going to do with a paper resume? I'm going to have to (laughs) scan that and load that. And I I know there's situations where now you can load in your information directly, but it's just a major pain in the ass because now I have a thousand people I've talked to that are expecting me to get back to them. If they are in the skill set that I'm looking for, maybe I'm putting those aside, but in reality, and this is gonna sound really bad. If you're showing up at a career fair, you might not be what I'm looking for. But <laughs> it's a truth. Like in no. the type of roles yeah. that I'm hiring that are in extremely high demand, those people are not showing up at career fairs. I'm wasting the candidate's time. I'm wasting my time. As a talent leader, if you're forcing your recruiters to go career fairs live, you're completely wasting your time. Virtual, I don't feel that much different about the virtual events. But as a company, the last thing I ever want to do is compete with a thousand other companies or a hundred other companies in the same venue. I want them to attract to my brand And I want to give them all the love when they come to my event and sell them why this company is the best company, not muddy their brain with a hundred different messages out there from different companies. So that is my take. Ali, am I full of shit? Is this a bad thing? What's your thoughts?
2: Aside from being full of shit, from my hot take on this, is you just mentioning the word career event, and my feet started to swell and I started to lose a lot of the hydration I have in my body. Those days, easily $50,000 would cost the companies that I work for to go to career fairs. From a perspective of whether or not you get the right candidates, I don't think it's a immediate play. I think it's a long play. So the effort, the cost, the time in (laughs) the swollen feet, all of that is to build your pipeline of candidates because maybe they're not good then, But you keep them in your hopper and they come later on. So this is coming from me being a top employer recruiter that was a very large bank. And that's how we would create our pipelines from the students that were on campuses. Do you know when the newspapers had their career days? Do you remember newspapers when they were in print? No, Serge Um. was only in elementary (laughs) school. (laughs) <laughs> those ones were even worse because we'd have, yeah, okay. I might need to take a nap soon, so we'll
1: just hurry this up. <laughs> yeah, hurry it up, Allie. <laughs> with,
2: with the ones that were specifically around campus recruitment, it was just a waste of water bottles and, and freebies for people that would walk around with their bags out and be like, what kind of swag do you have for me? Can I get some of those like stress balls? Cool. <laughs> here you go. Here's all my marketing material for you. Would you like a job? Would you like to know more about the company? And it would just... Out into the so, either, as so a recruiter, w- Ali,
0: how did yeah. you like it? Were you excited to go to those career fairs?
2: Me. I love meeting new people, but you're right. It was one out of a thousand that you'd be like, this is a hot person that I want to, not from an aesthetic standpoint, (laughs) but this is a hot candidate that I want to bring into the organization because they knew that we would be there on that particular day. But that is like the unicorn that showed out to the pasture ponies. When you look at the effort, I, I don't think it's a good return on investment, honestly.
1: And even the virtual ones, how do you well, get the one-on-one? Hold on. So here's the difference. And so a career fair, I agree. I step back and I think, who wins at a career fair? Who's winning here? So for the campus recruitment, it is the, what do they call that department? Like the counselors. Career services. Career services actually has proof that they actually fucking do something. Yeah. yeah, for students, do mm-hmm. they really? No, they don't. And I've volunteered here for years on their career event days, and most of the information that these students are getting, it, it's just mind-boggling. They wanted to know how do I hack the ATS. <laughs> I'm like, Good Why lord, you want to do that? They told me that I'll be screened out based on the ATS and and the bots inside. Anyways, career fairs, the only people that win are the organizers. Yeah, because uh. fifty thousand to go your booth. If it's truly a career fair and you want to be the first booth when people physically walk in, that spot is going to cost you a lot of money. Plus the time, the travel, and standing there. There's only one career fair event that I can honestly say was worth going to. Oh, and that was Sate put on only for the students that were in their final year or final semester for a certain trade and the employers that were invited had to commit that they had open positions. We took hiring managers with us and those students were interviewed. In fact, we would walk away having hired maybe four or five students for the four or five positions that we had open. And so it became competitive between the employers because SAIT would only invite three employers. You pay to be there. Pay to Uh, play, yeah. That's right, that's right. But you had exclusive access to new grads and they got jobs. That's the only time I've seen it work.
0: I I honestly don't even see value in that because if you're doing it really well, you're finding those students and targeting them in a method that you don't have to compete.
1: I, I think you're right if the school will give you access to those students. So if you take a look at the University of Alberta and how they run career fairs, you don't even have access to their students. The student has to like blind date matching is how it fucking works. Like it's insane.
0: That's why you get a really good sourcer (laughs) that can find anyone.
1: Yeah. If they even let the students have a LinkedIn profile, you can't find them search. Like seriously, I will say though, hiring events when, when it's your event, you've advertised it. People are pre-qualified going into that virtual hiring event and your hiring managers are there and you are being interviewed with offers on the spot. That works.
0: Yeah, I, I 100% agree. I'm on the same page. It's been by far the most efficient way to get candidates and hiring managers together and hire a lot of high volume roles. So I think there's tons of value. But So I grew up in the country. And do you know what these career fairs remind me of? It's like when you go to the cattle auctions and they like parade the cattle in front of you. <laughs> and then you oh, would, no. you would <laughs> bid on it. So- Career yep. fairs are like cattle calls. It, it's a horrible experience for the employers, horrible experience for the job seeker and the candidate. So companies that are listening, time to put your foot down. Let's not waste everyone's time. There's way better methods to find the people than these bullshit career fairs. So why do you think I they think, still do it? Search. Not why sure do we do anything in recruitment? Tom Depot Shelley. does. <laughs> it, it's the way we've always done. Done it. Mm -hmm. This is how talent acquisition and HR works. So I think
2: if Home Depot stopped going to all those career events, all of them, we
1: might Mm -hmm. actually have a reason not to go, but they still go and they get everybody, right? So, but it's their own event, is it not? Not always. Then that's a marketing exercise. Totally. It's a a branded marketing exercise in preparation for today. Just seeing like, who's, who else is running these career fairs? Mm -hmm. And so there's one happening, come and see 50 different companies. Bring your resume. Oh, Allie. I hate resume. So I just, I'm full disclosure. (laughs) We have the perfect guest or the perfect co-host today. Allie, can you imagine? (laughs) They actually said, bring your resume. They actually copies did. of my resume
2: to go to this career event for people to tell me, no, thanks, you're not a good fit.
1: Or go apply
2: online. <laughs> wow, what a creative waste of paper.
0: Right? You're telling me, I, I'll, I'll be very clear. If someone is dropping off a paper resume, it's going to get recycled because I'm not. This is take what this
2: that movie. sounds like. Yeah. Did you hear it? <laughs> of my shredder just going in. And thank you so much for stopping by.
0: Allie, let's jump into your recruitment and say, do you want to introduce it for us?
2: Yeah, so I'm curious to understand how things are working from your perspectives, because we're all different recruiters here. We all have our different talent acquisition spots, but recently with a lot of the different social changes that have been happening, there's been a drive for more diversity and inclusion. And we're now starting to see more interesting roles pop up into the organization. And one of the things that piques my interest is that there's not a lot of movement when it comes to inclusion in a recruitment strategy that I've seen. Mm So we were just talking about the same old. We don't want to break a system that works. Well, does it work? Is it working to create those inclusive environments? And I'm not just saying that it's inclusion for all different types of people, but thinking about, could they send in a paper resume? Or is it only applying online? What if somebody doesn't have access to an online application? What if they don't even have access to a resume that was stored on a computer that was taken or destroyed or what have you? Are we doing the right things to bring inclusion into recruitment strategy and what minimal steps are required? So, search, I'd love to know your opinion on that.
0: I'd be curious. So we're all on the same page. When you talk about inclusive, can you go a little bit more in depth? What Mm. does inclusion, what does this mean to you?
2: Inclusion to me means that we are breaking down the barriers or we're removing the barriers of access to the recruitment process. So things like job postings, are the job postings gender neutral? Uh, Do we have a hiring process that is the same for every single applicant or do some people get to skip through? Is it the same process all the way through? Is it the same person? Is it the same questions even? Are we giving the same method to every single person for that equal approach? Or are you trying to do things to make it more inclusive for people that might be marginalized? So again, coming back to that, hey, maybe somebody doesn't have access to a computer. Are you having a hiring event to bring those people face-to-face? So now you know that you can give them that one-off opportunity if it exists.
0: I I think you bring a lot of good points and I I have some views on it, but it's one of those things like when we talk about inclusion, uh, and also if we talk about diversity, it's really tough for me to give a viewpoint that lives in the real world. So Mm -hmm. I have my perspective, but I am 40. I'm gonna say no, I'm a 35 year old white male. (laughs) So when I look at when we talk about inclusion, we talk about it a lot. But there's been no major changes, and I I have a theory on that. Our HR leaders have not changed. We have not done a good job of being inclusive in our hiring in HR. So someone said this, and you might disagree. HR is a 47-year-old white woman. Has that changed? Have we brought in perspectives of different ethnicities, different genders, different age groups, to be able to really tackle these issues that are real life. Because if you don't understand it, how are you going to fix it? And a lot of organizations go to that HR leader and be like, okay, you're in charge of DEI, you're in charge of inclusion. And the person's not qualified to do that. They're not. Like why are we not as HR organizations bringing in the people that we need to be able to give a viewpoint so we can actually fix what we've been fucking up forever. Ever. So anyway, that is my viewpoint, but there's a couple things when we look at it is there's things we can do right now. Yeah, absolutely. Like, our job descriptions. There's plenty of tools out there that can help you write more inclusive job descriptions not only for gender, but also for different groups. Where are you advertising your job? If you're only advertising your job, say on Indeed, and you're not targeting those very niche groups that focus on a certain community, are we expanding our reach to try to go everywhere? So my initial thought on is we're not doing enough and we have the wrong people leading these types of initiatives. That's just my take.
2: It's interesting that you say that HR is like a 47-year-old white woman because I closely identify with that, number one. And number two, when you take a look at the North American viewpoint of that, the leaders in the decision-making area for talent are actually – the males and a little bit older and a little bit more white. And even in some of the organizations that hold our designations for us, it's not a very inclusive organization there. How do we break that? How do we stop the cycle? Where do we go from an inclusion standpoint with recruitment? I think you're right. There needs to be one of the worst things that I will fight anybody on is when they say that it's a pipeline problem. No, (laughs) it's never a pipeline problem. When you say pipeline, you immediately mean there's a hole on one end and people go through this tube and there's a hole on the other end. Clearly, you are not branching out and meeting all these different individuals at what you're trying to do, but... I think from a standpoint of making recruitment more inclusion, like there's things you can do right away. Absolutely. One of my things that I'm trying to be more focused in on is any type of job description that I see that doesn't have the ideal outcomes and just list like what you've done before. Mm. Because I think that there's a lot more people that are looking for that stretch, stretch job or stretch role that will... Allow them to express themselves a little greater in their skill set and things like that. So if we start identifying outcomes of the role rather than what you've done in the past, I think that's a way to be a little bit more inclusive. So,
0: Allie, mm -hmm. one of the things, and I'd like to get your viewpoints here, Shelly, is asking for a university degree for a job that doesn't need a university degree inclusive.
1: Are you asking me?
0: I am asking you.
1: Oh, you know what I'm going to say. It's absurd. It's absurd. it's elitist and it is absolutely a way of saying um, I will only take people from certain universities or people that come from my alumni, which is God bless our American brothers and sisters and I'm half American myself. my grandmother no one which quarter, half one quarter one quarter one quarter one quarter of me is American because my grandmother was American. But they do have this entire structure set up about alumni. And if you went to a certain university and you hire only alumni. So that to me is an easy one. Not so easy if you've built a a whole culture around it. So what I would say, Ali, because you posed the question, like, how can we move the needle on this? And I think the answer is you can't. Oh, no. And and so you take a look at the banking industry. I think it was like 15 or 18 years ago, there was a study done that clearly said, when you get into the higher net worth, bigger within the banking or investment industry, it's all men and they're all white in Canada. They are. And so when a woman has found her way, or even a person identifiable as not being Caucasian, they don't stay. They don't last. They don't because it is... Uh, very much part of the culture and you are never going to change it. So until they, I, I guess, eventually begin to feel the pain of their business will just evaporate because they no longer represent their customers either. Yes. Even that, it, it will not change them. Even when those people have left the workforce, they have only hired people that look and sound like them from the same universities they went to. Mm. It's, it's very elitist. And the fact is, that's not an industry that you should even bother applying to. Exactly. If you are, and so who wants to be, who wants to be the one bright star from a, a diverse perspective and be surrounded by people who are nothing but racists and misogynistic? Who wants, to, who, you know what? I quit. <laughs> So guess what? You don't have to work there.
0: For um, once so, I'm more altruistic
1: people. Don't try and fix them because they mm-hmm. won't change. Shey. Uh, so, so, you know what the, you know people will vote with their wallets. People will vote with where they do business. Mm-hmm. And so rather than trying because I don't want to be the HR person or even the DE and I call me a vice president, call me anything you want. but it's never going to change. They don't My want aunt. to change. So
0: I am more altruistic than that. I do think it can change. It cannot. Oh, I think it can. And like generations So Give me change. one
1: example. Give me one fucking example of an industry that was traditionally uh, male-dominated white guys, and they have now changed to be this marvelous inclusive workplace. And, and there's different there in this.
0: Yes, there is. Yes, there is there not. Is. So Shelly, one of the points though, if we look at it, there's industry that haven't seen the diversity, but it's partly built on it. So like to give you an example is construction. Still 99% men. It's not because these people don't want to hire women. It's just women are not applying to those types of jobs. And you might say I'm wrong, but it is a fact. It is what the talent pool is. So I do think in certain like, banking is one that we're going to see a dynamic shift. The mentality of the generation coming up and what they've seen is completely different from the people that make the decisions right now, which are generally, to your point, Allie, older white males that are very comfortable in the way that it's been done. But there is a whole shift happening, and we are going to see it in our – maybe not in yours, Shelley, but me and Allie <laughs> will – We'll You're see it in our generation.
1: Jerk. I, I want to leave such a jerk. Well, yeah. so I, I do want to leave one thing where I do okay. see a glimmer of hope. What can we do right now as talent mm-hmm. acquisition people? Something so easy is to just simply look to your left, look to your right, and then take a look at your career page and the images that you have there. Um, and the images that you choose, does it reflect what it's like to work in your workplace? If the answer is yes, and all of those photos are of one particular gender, then do you know what it is? If you're a construction company and you look around, you've got 99 employees and every single one of them is of one gender, then just own it. If you look around and realize that you have actually a really diverse population, then show it. Make sure the images that you put up on, on your site reflect what it's really like to work at your company, not what you hope it will be. And be Shoot. true.
2: One thing before you jump in, Serge, be true to the job posting. I remember being a, I was I was an investigator for harassment and discrimination case in an organization. It was a multi-million dollar. Process that they were going through, and they were still putting job postings out saying, We are an inclusive environment (laughs) that has got a warm culture that appreciates everybody. And we are so deep into our 25th different discrimination case, this is not even funny. So, be like a same thing on your career website, make it known what you're trying to do, but don't fabricate. That's just
0: show the receipts, show why. (laughs) Show why. I, I'm going to okay. leave this topic on one last point because it's been a pet peeve of mine in the last... Because wants the last word. <laughs> okay. I, I always need... Okay. The it's the word.
1: last word. Oh, okay. Okay.
0: But you can give your viewpoints on this. I have noticed lately a lot of unconscious bias and diversity training done by white males and white females. And to me... It's shocking, it's absolutely shocking for us to think that we had lived and experienced what the challenges that people in diverse groups have had and we can give the training on it. We have all been part of the problem. Let the experts that actually lived it give these trainings. So. It's been annoying to shit on me. I've seen six in the last couple of weeks of different trainings on LinkedIn, and it's a white male, white female. I'm like, we all come from a ton of privilege. This should we should be listening, not talking in this case. So, leave me your thoughts on that viewpoint before we leave this episode of the Recruitment Flex.
1: You get the last word, Serge. I've got nothing but support for that as well,
0: Allie.
1: Um. Yeah, I think it's awful. I think we need to give the
0: people
2: with lived experiences the platform for them to make the changes because if we don't have the lived experiences, we can't speak to it.
0: We can't speak to it. Just shut the fuck up and step <laughs> down. Love it. Ali. where can people find you? I am always lurking
2: on LinkedIn. You can find me, Ali Canole, K-N-U-L, or
1: at go Love this to
0: Perfect. This was a ton of fun, right, Shelly?
1: Yes, it really was. Allie, thank you for co-hosting with us. Thank you so that, much. That's some great discussion here. And thank you, Serge, for mansplaining all about, oh. all about career fairs. Now we know. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. And that's what we'll, I do,
0: mansplain. <laughs> that's what I do.
1: We'll see y'all soon.
0: All right. <laughs> Bye do you love news about linkedin indeed google and just about every other recruitment tech company out there hell yeah